Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Want to make Mom's Day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Welcome to The Range on the Believe Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. I'm Ralph Irvin, and today we are talking individuality. Not uncommon in any aspect of life, but especially in golf, where you not only cultivate your own look, but if you really focus on your game, you know you have to customize your clubs to fit that game and your style. What does it mean, though? We'll find out as we talk with a specialist in customization, as we are joined by Michael Verska, the Director of Custom Fitting and Player Performance with Callaway Golf. Michael, thanks for joining us. I appreciate you having me on, Ralph. I've uh, been uh, listening to many of your podcasts, and uh, it's good to be on now for the first time. Thank you for that. Uh, we always open our talks here on the range by asking a simple question. How did golf enter into your world? Uh, yeah, interesting story. So I uh, I was a decent youth baseball and basketball player growing up in uh, northwest Indiana. Basketball was a big deal back then. I had an uncle, my uncle, uh, I have two uncle Carl's. One of my uncle Carl's uh, had, got forced into playing a, a you know, kind of corporate event. And uh, he really enjoyed it and said, hey, you should come play this game. And, uh, you know, I said, that's dumb. You know, the ball's not moving. Why on earth would anyone want to play golf? And it took him about two months, but he eventually got me on this uh, little par three course in LaPorte, Indiana. And I'll never forget it. Uh, you know, got rental clubs and uh so I took my first swing and, and literally hit a, a good eight to 12 inches behind the ball with a three wood. And this was, you know, this is little like a 70, 80 yard hole. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and literally just bounced, you know, hit in the ground, bounced completely over, you know, and now I know that's a whiff. I didn't think anything of it. I uh, didn't even have to retee it, uh, took my second swing and, and, and no joke, the ball never left the flag stick uh, was going directly at the pin, this high, beautiful arching shot, uh, over the green, uh, just over the road, right behind the green and into the cornfield. And I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. Um, one, cause it went straight and you know, I, I mean, my little brain's like, Oh, I probably made a hole in one. It's going right at it. But, um, you know, I was, I was hooked from the moment that rental three would hit that golf ball. Um, and it probably only went 95 yards, 90 yards, but, uh, I, I was 100% hooked and, um, Played once or twice more uh, that fall. That fall, and then uh, the next spring, I watched my first golf tournament, 1986. Some guy named uh, Jack Nicholas uh, won a Masters, and uh, that was my first golf tournament I ever watched. That I ever, t- I mean, I'm sure I watched golf, you know, just kind of flipping around CBS and NBC back in the day, but went out of my way to watch the Masters, and uh, you know, saw Jack, and you know, the rest is history. Were you competitive as a youth growing up, or was it just kind of a hobby sort of thing? So I. <laughs> I wasn't good by any stretch of the imagination. I played at, you know, the, the first bank of Valparaiso, you know, Porter bank open, which, you know, there's, you know, seven 13 year olds in it type thing. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so I, I mean, I played in a, in a league at forest Park golf course. Uh, I, you know, I played in a couple of the little events, but, uh, I, quite frankly, I was a, you know, average to below average junior golfer uh, i was a well above average baseball and basketball player and that was really my focus from a competitive standpoint um then i had my second knee surgery in college and and i was playing college baseball and just decided i you know didn't want to really continue that anymore with the second round of rehab and to everything else that was going on with that and and got and uh and got really serious about golf because I needed an outlet. I needed something to do and uh, went from a, you know, kind of eighties, nineties shooter um, to a single digit in really no time flat. Um, and then just kind of have hovered in media, what I call mediocrity ever since right around there. So uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I played in some events and I played in a weekly league, but I, I wasn't a, 
competitive junior golfer by, by any, you know, any real stretch. I'm, I'm, if you would have asked me when I was 13, I probably would have said I was, but now looking back, I know that's not true. You went to school at Purdue and studied mechanical engineering. Did you have a career direction at that point uh, in terms of where you wanted to work? Uh, so, I mean, kind of, I, I had, uh, I, one of the things I kind of fallen in love with was drawing golf courses when I was a teenager. I, I, you know, used to fill scrapbooks, you know, drawing, you know, holes and bunkers. And, um, I was always very technically minded, you know, I was always good at math. It came easy to me. Um, so I, the, the two things I wanted to do was design airplanes or design golf courses was actually what I wanted to do, you know, when you, when you know, filled out, you know, your SAT or your state exams, I had wrote that and, you know, major league baseball player catcher for the Cubs would have been a close second or third. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, and, uh, interestingly, I was on a recruiting trip for, for baseball, uh, my senior year and, uh, was talking to, uh, the, the head of a mechanical engineering department explained to, Hey, I really want to design helicopters or airplanes. I think I want to go into aeronautical engineering. And he actually convinced me, said, Hey, you know, go be a mechanical engineer. You're much broader. You can do different things. You can still, if you really, really want to design airplanes, you still can, but it gives you more breadth and you, you can do more things. And he talked about the, the cyclicalness, I'm not sure that's a word, but if it's not, I just made it up uh, of, uh, of, you know, the aerospace injuries industry, the defense industry. And, you know, he just, you know, it was happened to be down at the time. He said, you know, if you're a mechanical engineer, you do lots of things. Uh, I got into school, um, started at Valparaiso University where I, where I played baseball a little bit. Um, and then when that got done, transferred to Purdue. Um, and, uh, you know, in there, I, I got serious about golf. I started, you know, doing some research and figuring out, wow, I could, um, I could make a career out of this and, you know, not to, you get through the whole story, but, uh, near the, you know, during my senior year, I sent an, e uh, back then it wasn't an email. I sent letters, you know, I went to the back of the sporting news and the back of golf digest back in those little tiny ads at the back and went to the library. And I'll never forget this. I sent out 63 resumes and cover letters to every baseball related company and every golf and golf related company I could find an address for. Uh, sent out 63 resumes, 63 cover letters, explained what I wanted to do, who I was, my background, uh, and I got three responses, um, and they were all golf companies. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I uh, got three interviews. I got two offers from those three interviews, and uh, now I haven't. Now I haven't left the industry. Twenty-two years later, your first step in the professional world was working with Steel. Yeah, so uh, I did that. I was at U.S. Steel, and I kind of was doing that uh, through college, and you know, and then uh, shortly after college, did that. It was a great background, you know, the materials background, just understanding, you know, how to be an engineer, understanding how to solve problems, and um, so that was really good. Uh, you know, kind of got you know my CAD's chops up, and and did that really well, and then got into full-time golf and I'd been a, what I call a stick and glue guy. Hopefully no one finds that offensive now, but you know, back in the days, um, you know, building, you know, clubs from Golfsmith and Dynacraft and, and those sort of things. And I had gotten the custom fitting, uh, as well. So, you know, I, I had bought my own lie board and, you know, it was pretty archaic back then. I mean, I thought it was a big deal, but, um, you know, really just studied golf as much as I could. And, uh, you know, going from steel working part-time and then full-time and then, um, and then getting in the golf industry full time, you know, I, I like to think I hit the ground running and, uh, but it was interesting getting in and, and seeing the science that, uh, even back then that the, that the rest of the world didn't know about golf. Now it's a, it's a truly a whole nother level, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a good times going from us steel, uh, into the golf industry. You start at Wilson. Do you remember what your first project was there? Uh, my first project, I don't, uh, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, I don't remember my first project there. I, I, we got into, I got into hybrids pretty quickly there, which is kind of ironic that, you know, then going to Adams and all the things I did there, but I did a pro staff hybrid was, uh, that was the, definitely the first, I would say big project I was involved in. Um, you know, I, I, I honestly don't remember. It was kind of a whirlwind coming in and learning. Uh, I got, uh, you know, did some work with hybrid then got really deep into to putters and wedges for a while there, uh, in, in that, that first three year stint. And you mentioned going to Adams there. I mean, so much innovation at that company in the woods and hybrid space that that really had to open your eyes. Yeah, that was, 
I mean, I love what I'm doing now. So this isn't a knock on what I'm doing now or anybody I work with, but those, those 10 years at Adams were, you know, some of the, you know, probably the best years of my career also just because of the family situation. My kids were, you know, my youngest was born there. My two older ones were kind of growing up. We, we fell in love with the people of Texas. So yeah, th- those 10 years at Adams were in, truly incredible from, and, and also just the science that was going on. Launch monitors became much more prevalent. You know, we were getting much better data, um, you know, the CAD systems we were using were significantly more advanced than the ones I'd been using previously. Um, you know, some of the knowledge and, you know, Chip Brewer running the show there, who, you know, now is the CEO at Callaway and, and worked mm-hmm. for again. Uh, just, you know, seeing the, the knowledge and the passion that he brought, the, the 10 years at Adams and what we did um, with hybrids and the patents that were generated and, and the work we did with Woods. I'm, I'm really proud of that time and the team that we worked there. It was, uh, it was special and, uh, you know, you still see, you, you know, the, the shaping and the technology and, you know, the things we brought to hybrids are still, you know, kind of the go-to for other companies as they look at, you know, how to make the best hybrids in the world today. Now, again, the technology is advancing. I'm not saying it's not, but um, those were fun times at Adams for sure. When you talk about a situation like that at a smaller company to have that kind of innovation is either have a couple of super talented people or else you've got a really dedicated team, probably a combination of the two that are really just their whole goal is making great golf clubs. Yeah, it really is. When I went there, uh, there the entire R&D group was four people. I mean, I, I was number four there uh, and, and we were really blessed. Uh, Tim Reed, who, who ran that group, um, you know, had come over. It's been, had been a long time in the industry. He'd come from Tommy Armour. He'd been at Odyssey before Callaway had bought it. Uh, another company or two. Uh, you know, I came in from Wilson. We brought a gentleman in from Titleist. We brought uh, someone in from the shaft industry. So we really kind of brought in this this really great knowledge, but from different points of view. And, you know, we really got to debate things. You know, I believe this and I've seen this in testing, obviously very careful about proprietary information, but, um, you know, just general information and what we've seen in our knowledge base and really got to debate things and, and then go test them. Hey, mm-hmm. I think this happens with, you know, a, a club moment arm of this, or the CG goes from here to here. I think this happens. Well, interesting. I see that happens, but I've also seen this with that factor. And, it, you know, it really became a very technical data driven um, way to go about doing things. And, and we learned a lot and, and we made really great product and, you know, uh, became the number one hybrid on tour with a you know, very small group. And I was proud to say when I left there, I think we had uh, 23, 24, 25, somewhere in there R&D people. So it was fun to grow that group. And um, be instrumental and in, you know, not that I hired each one, but interviewing them and, you know, a bunch of them obviously worked for me as the group grew and, um, just really, really great times. And many of those people are still in the golf industry and, and some of them that haven't are now leaders in other industries. So it's been, uh, it was a really fun time. You would return to Wilson golf. And what's notable to me is you were there in charge of innovation when golf channel was doing driver versus driver. And for you as a designer, what was that like working with somebody that's coming in as a novice with an idea that needs to be fostered, fine-tuned, et cetera? Yeah, that was, uh, it was fun going back to Wilson, uh, you know, obviously going from a, a, a big, you know, Adams was a bigger brand at that point. They got sold uh, sold shortly after I left, uh, you know, back to one of the smaller challenger brands. It was a lot of fun. And then, the you know, the driver versus driver thing came up. And, you know, that was a, a guy named Doug Thiel and Tim Clark and I did, uh, when I say a ton of work, I mean, it was 80-hour weeks every week and travel, you know, overnights and getting up and doing it. It was crazy, crazy months. Um, but it was a lot of fun. And we got to meet some really great people. Um, you know, some of the golf people at Golf Channel are, are so good at what they do so passionate about golf uh, and really opened my eyes uh, some of the things that I had thought were mundane about golf club design and, and how we go about doing things you know they found it very exciting uh, mm-hmm. interesting some of the things that I found really exciting they they're like well you know it's, it's okay it's nice so you know getting that outside perspective from a, you know I'm going to use the word geniuses I mean from a tv's perspective they were mm-hmm. really great um, you know, obviously it, was, it ended oddly with some weird things, with the USGA, but, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that, that project and that time, 
uh, learned so much. Um, again, great people working with, you know, some of the, you know, quote unquote inventors who, who came on and trying to explain things and see their eyes open when they said, I want to do this and this. I said, well, you know, you know, we can't do that because, you know, that will ruin durability. Wow. I never even thought about durability. I thought, you know, I was only worried about this or, um, you know, what if we did that? Well, if you do that, that's really going to move the center of gravity, you know, toward or higher mm-hmm. or some way we don't want it to go. Um, and explaining those things that, you know, I had taken for granted being in the industry at that point, probably 15, 16 years, maybe 18. I can't do the math real quickly as we sit here, but, <laughs> you know, having these, uh, you know, these inventors come in with great passion and, um, you know, some of them knowing being very technical in, in their outside work and bring that in and some just being passionate golfers who, you know, who, who love the game and, you know, found everything on the internet and, and then read and bring it in. So it really was a, it was a good cross section of, of society, um, and, and fun times, but, you know, really trying times to, to get, um, you know, get all of those drivers done, developed, tested, um, in a, in a super abbreviated time frame. It was a, it was a fun, but very challenging time. Uh, wasn't involved in the second season of, of that, but uh, there was a second season that uh, that they went through with golf channel. And, um, but yeah, it was a very great learning experience. No, and it's a reminder that it's it's really hard to make golf clubs on a timetable that isn't kind of organic. To try to force things to meet a schedule, it doesn't necessarily work that way. Yeah, every, every obviously every project we start with, you know, at every golf company has some sort of timeline plan, right? You know, we have a sales right. meeting here, we need to launch this. Um but, you know, there's things that you can do and, and things that, you know, you're not, you're not typically trying to get six drivers done for a sales meeting, uh, <laughs> so to speak. I mean, I mean, you might, might have six models, right? Maybe, you, you know, you've got right hand, left hand, some different loss. Maybe you've got a lower spin, a higher spin. So that might be, but, you know, just completely divergent designs that really have nothing to do with each other was, was, was challenging. And, uh, again, with a small team and, and really proud of the, the people there, um, who, who did, a, did a lot of the heavy lifting and, and behind the scenes who, you know, maybe didn't get to be on camera, but uh, worked really hard on it. Uh, you know, now going to a place like Callaway with, you know, with arguably the, the largest R and D group and, and seeing the tools we have that now from AI and people and, and some of the test methodologies that Callaway's developed over the years. Um, you know, it's really amazing to, to see our team and see, you know, when we talk about, true innovation um, and, and being able to look at every aspect and, and really define, test and perfect every aspect of a driver, you know, just in those five years ish, four years ish from then, uh, you know, to what I get to see behind closed doors now at Callaway is pretty amazing. You know, the golf industry continues to make huge leaps um, and it goes right back to what you talked about, you know, having the right people, having the right, ha- having the right tools, the right meth- methodologies, uh, you know, and, and let's be frank, more people are better, right? I'd love to have good ideas from 10 people and good ideas from one or two people. So um, it's, uh, you know, people, when you get right down to it, are the most important thing. It's cool to have AI. It's cool to have CAD systems. It's cool to have, you know, measurement systems that have been developed over time and perfected. But, you know, the bottom line is you got to have great people. You'd worked at two, I mean, not tiny brands, but going into Callaway is another world. I mean, that must have been a real eye-opener to you. Was there anything in particular that you can recall walking in? It's like, okay, this is different. Uh, I guess the biggest thing, and, that, that, you know, uh, I'm, I'm pretty blessed. I'm just being in the industry as long as I had. You know, I, I make the joke that it's really hard to get in the golf industry and almost impossible to get out. So, uh, you know, when I showed up at um, – at, at Callaway, I had either worked with or developed a relationship with probably 25 to 35 people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, now there's, there's 20 times that people working there. Sure. So it's not like I knew everybody, but just walking in, I walked in, felt like I, you know, there, there was allies and people who were friendly faces. Um, you know, the interesting thing, uh, you know, cause I used to think this all the time, but I wish I just had somebody who had the time to do this. I wish I had somebody who had the knowledge base to do that. Uh, and coming into Callaway, there was almost nothing I could think of that we didn't have somebody who knew how to do that, who had that expertise. Uh, but interestingly, you know, and, and I guess maybe this was the surprises, you know, all of those people were doing it full time, right? I was thinking along those lines for project to project. Well, I wish I had somebody for on this project to do this. And maybe it takes a couple of weeks. 
Um, but, you know, when, it's interesting when you get those type of skilled, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say niche, but, but kind of niche skill sets and, and knowledge bases, um, you know, the work they can do and the deep dives they can get into uh, for different product lines is pretty amazing. So I, I, I wasn't shocked by it because I, I knew Callaway had those resources. And again, being such a large, robust, strong R&D team um, was great. But just to see some of the projects, the depth, the, the minutia in a good way um, that they had sorted through and gone through was, uh, was, was really great to see. Moving from the Midwest to Carlsbad is a big jump and obviously big career jump. <laughs> what ultimately inspired the move to Callaway? Uh, it's pretty simple. Uh, I mean, Chip Brewer gave me a call and said, hey, I've, I've got this position I'm considering. Um, explain the position to me. And, uh, you know, because it's not in R&D. So this is, this uh, was my first full-time position in, in the golf, not in an R&D space. Um, explain the position. And, you know, I, I love the idea. I explained, you know, a couple things that I thought um, would need to be part of the position to make it, you know, what I would like to do. Um, he, you know, on the phone said, yeah, I understand that. I think, you know, we can work with some of those things. And it came together really quickly. Um, happened to be, already have my son, uh, Michael uh, Verska III, who uh, works at Asher Golf right now, running their marketing group, uh, was actually an intern at Callaway at the time. So I had already had a plan uh, to visit him in, in uh, Carlsbad for Father's Day gift. Uh, we ended up going to see the Cubs and Dodgers game, which was, a, which was an amazing treat. And I said, well, Chip, I'm interested in you called now. I'm, I'm going to be out in Carlsbad. I've already got a trip planned um, around Father's Day. I, you know, I can change my flight, come in a day early and uh, interviewed slash met with a bunch of people. Um, and uh, it, it came together really quickly. And uh, it was a new role. Um, it's, it's a mouthful, director of custom fitting and player performance. Um, and, you know, the, the, that first kind of, I just passed two years, the first 18 months or so were really focused on the custom fitting aspect, uh, the big picture stuff. And then the last five or six months, uh, I've really been getting deeper diving into that, uh, you know, player performance stuff, which a lot of I can't talk about because it, you know, still projects and things. But how do we as a company, how do we as the golf industry even help golfers play better besides just, hey, here's the right shaft and here's the right lie angle for you? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, really getting into data and, and how we can use that data to, to help people play better, whether it's mentally, whether it's physically, whether it's from a strength, whether it's from stretching, whether it's just understanding where your weaknesses are. There's some, a lot of really cool things that we're looking at. Um, and at some point the, those, those cool things will turn into projects. Um, you know, Callaway is, uh, you know, we are still a golf company. Obviously we own top golf and Travis Matthew. Uh, so, you know, we'd certainly have some lifestyle aspects of it as well that, that could, could factor in, but I'm really excited about, uh, the future of the company, obviously, and as well as, you know, my role, uh, within it. So it's, uh, the, the move to Carlsbad is, uh, is probably a whole nother podcast, probably a little less upbeat with COVID <laughs> and the housing industry. Yeah. Um, but the, the job itself has been great. Now I, I do, I, I I've fallen in love with the area going down to the beach and I grew up uh, not far from Lake Michigan and, and as a child would go there a lot and hang out with friends and, you know, play beach volleyball, not well, but, you know, kind of bump the ball around hanging out, uh, was doing a lot. And I'd kind of gotten out of that into my, you know, kind of adult life moving to Texas. And, um, the water's a lot more salty than Lake Michigan, that's for sure. But, uh, it's still, uh, I, I've fallen back in love with just going to the beach on a Saturday for an hour or two, watching the sunset with my wife, my son, our dog, and, and doing some fun stuff there. Absolutely. Well, your focus, as you said, is custom fitting. How does your perspective factor into overall club design direction or, or do you work at all with the R&D so that you can have a more custom fitting applicability to what they're producing? Yeah. So we have what, uh, we, we have team meetings where we go over, you know, driver design, fairway design, wedge design, all, all of the products. Uh, and I'm in on those meetings. Now I, I'm not directing that. We have really smart people that do that full time. Uh, you know, sometimes I like to think I could dive right back in there and do a good job. I did it for 18 years, but I'm very happy with the team we have doing that now. Um, but it's more my job now to dive in and say, Hey, if we thought about this from a fitting aspect, I really need this to happen. 
here's a trend we're seeing uh, in fitting that, uh, you know, I'd like to see if we can do something with on this product line. So, you know, the R and D team, uh, they support that. They understand, uh, you know, the growth of custom fitting with, with, you know, it's interesting for, Literally, since I've been in the industry 20 years, we've been telling people to get custom fit. Five or six years ago, they really started getting custom fit, and then COVID happened, and now everybody is. So mm-hmm. it, it, uh, it's interesting how that's worked. But yeah, our R&D team is, is, uh, you know, is a great group. Uh, they listen to feedback. Uh, they certainly incorporate uh, things that I need and the team needs uh, from a bigger picture, as well as some of the details. Hey, we need this head, but not that head. You know, can we look at maybe doing a stronger lofted or a weaker lofted version in addition to the standard version because of these reasons? So they're very supportive. Um, hopefully I'm, I'm supportive of their needs. I, I certainly, you know, can talk the language and understand some of the trials and the challenges they go through when, uh, when you know, things happen from a manufacturing standpoint or whatever. So I think it, uh, it's worked out well. In terms of fitting, I mean, the funny thing is you talk about everyone's getting fit. There's now so many different ways to get fit. And it varies from obviously a full four hour, full bag fitting at a club champion, all the way down to telephone fitting, everything in between to kind of fit people's needs and availability. Yeah, that's a, that's a a spot on and a great analysis because there, there really is options for everyone. And that's uh, if anybody's listening, if if, you know, you play golf, please go get fit. I think the, the, still the biggest misconception out there is the two of them are I'm not good enough or I haven't played long enough to get fit. You know, one of the things I stress is especially new golfers. Once you're in, once you're sure this is your game, you really need to go get fit. And that, that doesn't need mean it needs to take four hours. And that doesn't need mean you need to spend $5,000. None of that mm-hmm. are, are, those are not equivalencies. What we see all too often is, you know, new golfers come into the game and they grab their buddy's club and maybe their buddy's, um, you know, been playing a lot longer, you know, stronger, heavier shafts, what have you. And, and they, they make these compensatory moves because they, they don't know how to move their body yet and deliver the club. Maybe they're not taking lessons and they groove this swing with clubs that are so ill fitted for them. Um, and then they, they, you know, three years later, they're, they are frustrated. Their game hasn't improved and they go take a lesson and they've ingrained these things that are so compensatory for their clubs that, it's just a really bad way to go. And there's nothing wrong with getting used clubs. Go get those used clubs, you know, go to a place that does fitting and say, Hey, I need you to fit me. Let's find the, the right weight shaft. Let's, let's find a shaft that's, that's doesn't, you know, I'm not even saying it has to be perfect. Let's find something that's good. Right. Um, and do that. And obviously we obviously want people to go buy Callaway clubs, but you know, if, if, if you're you know limited on dollars and you really want to get into this game, there are ways to do it that uh, you can on a budget. And we risk just strongly recommend people go get fit. And then when you talk about something like Callaway's distance fitting, which I'm really proud of the team that uh, we put this, we had been talking about it before COVID, uh, and then COVID happened and you talked about a fast forward button. I mean, we worked really hard and fast and it's still going on. We're, we're still getting dozens of what we call distance fittings. You can go to CallawayGolf.com slash fitting and, and link there um, where we do a really great job of, of fitting over the phone. Uh, you can bring data. You can, you know, if you, if you hit a launch monitor, you can bring that. Now we, we fully admit, you know, from a good, better, best a distance fitting on the phone is in the good category. The best category is, you know, being in person hitting, mm-hmm. but we can do, uh, you know, give some amazing guidance on, you know, what clubs we recommend, what shafts we recommend, some other things. So, um, and, and one of the other things, you know, people say, well, you know, I'm worried about people will, will look at my swing. And I, I, I saw this and I don't know, even know who to get it credit for, but I've said similar things as there is nothing you can do that we haven't seen worse of. And we truly mean that from a fitting perspective that, you know, no matter how bad you think you are, we've seen worse. And I promise you, we, every fitter out there who's worth his salt or her salt only wants to make you better. That's their only goal is to bring joy to golf make it easier for you to have fun. So, um, you know, again, if you're, whether you're scratch and, you know, looking for a new driver shaft or just getting started, please, please, please go get fit. Looking back, Callaway introduced shaft interchangeability back in 2008. And uh, really that's one of the biggest changes that made drivers and woods more customizable really than it had ever been before in the entire game. I mean, you could always do things to irons, but there wasn't much you could do to a driver. And once you started to be able to interchange the shaft and then start to move weights around, it became 
really, really customizable for every player. Yeah, if you go back and look at the history of, of metal woods, it's you know kind of interesting with with wood with wood woods <laughs> back in the real persimmon days. Um, you know, the tour players had their woods hand ground to them, and everybody else was truly off the rack. There's nothing you could do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe there was different shaft flexes towards the end of it, and then steel, uh, you know, stainless steel metal woods came in. And interestingly, although it wasn't talked about, you could bend some of those hosels a little bit, not much. Uh, but there, but at that point, you know, either was a little bit of graphite out there. There was definitely shaft flexes. Um, but, but again, that was more about, you know, how fast do you think you swing? How, excuse me, it wasn't even about that. Cause we weren't measuring very, how far do you hit it? What's your handicap? And that's how we fit. Uh, and then, then it got into titanium and it went back to really could do nothing with there again. Right. You can't bend it. Um, so we, and then, and then we get into with adjustable weights, you get into callow with adjustable hosels. Uh, now everybody has, has kind of taken off on that. And, and now drivers are one of the most, if not the most, um, fitable adjustable clubs. So again, looking at history, I love to look back, um, so much of golf that we think is new is old, certainly improved, but, um, you know, look at the, the, some of the history of there. It's interesting how, uh, woods have gone from completely non-adjustable to tiny bit to completely non-adjustable now to super adjustable. Uh, irons have stayed relatively similar over time. You know, the people were always bending irons uh, way back in the day for loft and for lied for the different players. Um, you know, originally they were sold as individuals. You wouldn't even, you know, it was Spalding who introduced the, the match set of irons way, way, way back in the 20s and 30s. Before then, you'd literally buy, you know, you'd buy your mashie and you'd buy your niblick and you'd, you'd, you'd cobble together your bag. Um, and then they went to standard sets and, you know, now we've kind of gone back to that, right? Like, Hey, you know, you, sir, you or ma'am, you only need a five or six through pitching wedge. Mm-hmm. We're going to give you these four wedges. Each one of them's different because they're going to, and we're going to give you these two hybrids and here's, here's a, th- you know, three fairway woods. So it's, it's interesting. We're, again, that, that whole cycling back through history, um, and then that doesn't even include personalization, right? Do you want this red, blue, purple, or green, you know? Um, you know, which grip do you like, which grip color do you like? So we've really come uh, full circle in a really positive way um, to make golf both individualized from, Hey, I'm proud of the clubs I'm playing, but not only I'm proud of them, I like the way they look to, they fit me perfectly or, or can fit me perfectly. You talk about what's available at the Callaway site in terms of fitting, but even if you go to a normal major golf shop, uh, off course shop, there are, plenty of shaft options that are free upgrades there i don't even want to call it a free upgrade it's just getting the right thing it's like you go and buy clothes you buy shoes you want the right size that's essentially what you're buying is the right size in terms of shaft so it performs to your swing yeah 100 percent uh you know we we have literally thousands of fitting accounts across the country. Um, and if you, you know, again, not to be too much of a promoter here, but you can go to our website again, callawaygolf.com slash fitting. And we have a map. You can type your address in and show the closest one. And all of those will have numerous shafts on drivers and, and, and irons. We'll have lots of demos on fairy woods and hybrids and wedges. Um, putter fitting and golf ball fitting are two things I, I wish more people would embrace. Uh, we're, you know, we're, we're trying to get that, that message across. More people are getting there and that that's your spot on. I mean, it's that the, and good news is that's changing. I think there was a long time where people thought, boy, I'm not, um, you know, if I don't spend an extra $200 on a shaft, I'm not sure I'm getting the right one or the best one. And those days are, are clearly over. We have, um, we have, I can't literally can't keep track of the shafts, but we have numerous dozens and dozens of shafts uh, at every price point that uh, to fit people. And it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to charge extra. Uh, it might be, that's the perfect one for you. And that's something you work through with the fitter. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Hey, this, this shaft at $200 for a driver compared to the shaft at no upcharge for on a driver. What benefit am I getting? Is, is that worth the money? Same thing with iron. So um, yeah, go there. Uh, the most important part of the fitting and, you know, just kind of tip everyone off who's maybe, I'm not sure if I should go get fit. I'm listening to this first good guy. He, he's not sold me yet. One of the most important things in a fitting that we call the pre-fit interview. And when we train fitters, those five, 10, 15 minutes before you've ever hit a shot is the most important part of the fitting. We're going to understand what your goals are, where you're at now. Are, are, are you taking lessons? Do you plan to take lessons? Are, are you, did you go to the gym suddenly? You're getting stronger. Maybe you don't, you know, have any desire ever to do that. 
Um, do you play once a week? Do you play four times a week? Do you go to the driving range? Do you not? Um, you know, do you, do you only play at your home course? Do you travel the country? All of that information, the fitter is going to take in. They're going to understand what your needs are specifically. And, and that's what this, this thing, you know, we, we, you know, talk about a suit, right? You, you can go buy an off the rack suit and it might be fine and you can wear it. But, you know, if you want to look your best, you, you're going to check the inseam. You're going to check the sleeve size. You're going to, you know, maybe add a dart here or there. So it fits your, your you know, tapers right for you. And that's really what a fitter is trying to do is to understand your needs and help you have fun and play better uh, as much as possible. So that pre-fit interview, be honest. There's nothing embarrassing. Well, I never practice and I only play once a week. Great. Now that we know that we can help you that, that mm-hmm. we're, you know, maybe we'll make some compensatory things instead of saying, Hey, you know, we're going to make this, you know, if you're hooking it, we're going to maybe make this iron an extra degree flat just to help you take the hook out compared to, well, I'm taking lessons. I hooked the ball. Well, great. Then we're going to maybe fit you a tiny bit differently because we know your, your instructor is going to help with that hook and get mm-hmm. your face angle and pass straightened out. So again, that, that five, 10, 15 minute pre-fit interview, be open, be honest, let them know. And that's, uh, it's so critical. You mentioned that with comparing it to a suit. If you get the wrong driver, it's like somebody who wears a medium buying an extra large, <laughs> like, like it's not, it can even be close to being right, let alone not look as sharp as it could. So, I mean, it can be that drastic a difference if you just buy something without having any idea what it does. Yeah, for sure. And, it, you know, going back to that suit analogy, uh, Ralph, you're a good looking guy. Um, but if I saw you in a really nice navy blue suit, I wouldn't ask you, hey, is that a 44 regular? And, and you know, with, uh, you know, 32 inch inseam and me go buy that same 44 regular or 32. Right. Uh, it, it looks great on you and it, and it fits you perfectly. I'm, I'm guessing on your sizes. I apologize for <laughs> either way, but uh, I would go and find the suit that fits me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm a 41 long and, you know, that may or may not fit you, but I, I, I certainly wouldn't just buy it. And I, that happens a lot. Right. Oh, my buddy bought this new driver. He's never hit it past the, the bunker on number two. And now he's carrying the bunker on two must be a great driver. Well, it's probably a great driver because it's the right driver for him. It's got the right length. It's got the right settings. It's got the right loft. It's got the right shaft weight. It's got the right shaft flex, bend profile, but it could be very different for me. Let, let's find a driver that I can hit past mm-hmm. the bunker on two or, or whatever that example um, may be. So it, uh, it is critical. I think, you know, we, we like to tend to look at people's bags and if they, you know, quote unquote bought their game, they think, well, I'm going to go buy the same thing and get there. And, you might be able to get there, but it could be almost diametrically opposite. And it really can be that different. What would you say are reasonable expectations for players who are getting their clubs built to match their games? Well, that, that really depends. I, I mean, uh, when we fit tour players, um, you know, we're literally looking at fractions of shots, right? When you, when mm-hmm. you, when you think about shots gamed, um, you know, what talking to our, our head of tour, um, dear friend of mine, um, you know, and they're were, they were working on trying to get a player, uh, you know, three feet closer. If they can get his proximity on a, a certain wedge shot three feet closer to the hole, uh, that was several hundred thousand dollars in earnings. <laughs> so one of the things that, that I hear all the time is also, well, I, I'm not good enough to get fit. Well, guess what? If you're not good to go, if you think you're not good enough to get fit, we might be looking at 10, 15, 20, 25 yards on a driver. Mm-hmm. We could be looking at five, six, eight shots on your score. So the worst player you are, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but just the higher handicap, the higher your score, the more likely you're going to see significant improvement from a fitting. Yeah. The better player you are, the more fractional it becomes. Again, if we can get a tour player um, where we can get, you know, think about if we can get 0.25 improvement on something per round, that's a stroke in a tournament. That's a lot of money over the course of a year. Mm-hmm. If I can get an 18 handicap 0.25 shots, I probably wouldn't tell them to pull their credit card out. I'd say, you know, if you're, if, if, if it's only 0.25 and 18 handicap, it's probably not worth your money for that. Let's find something that I can make a significant difference for, for you. So uh, again, the higher the handicap, uh, the older, and, and then the other big one is the older your clubs are. Uh, that's where we can see the biggest difference. Um, and the other one is, is just if you're really poorly fit, you know, there's, there's many stories uh, and obviously, you know, your, your, everyone's results may vary, but you know, a, a decent player, maybe a 10 handicap, um, 
and comes in and we find out that, you know, it's been smoke and mirrors because the clubs are truly just not even close to them. And, you know, we get them something an inch longer with a, you know, different shaft weight. We bend the line gold a couple degrees and all of a sudden, you know, it's much more consistent and they go from a, a, a 10 down to a seven or eight almost overnight. Um, but again, that would be a, something where the, the fit is, is really far off. But um, so it really does vary. But again, the older the clubs, the higher the handicap, the poorer the fit, we're going to make some big differences. And again, we're, I mean, there, I, every fitter out there has a, a story where somebody's came in and gained 20 plus yards on a driver, everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it's not like that only happens once. That's not a unicorn that uh, we, we get enough of those to make it worth our while. And, um, you know, we get scratch players who come in and we're just looking to increase consistency, maybe taking one miss away. Um, you know, if, if think about a scratch player, boy, I, I you know, my, I have a, this block, right. You know, maybe we can do something uh, from his head CG to get him in the right head to eliminate that shot. So I like to think of it as if you miss your ball at 50 yards left and 50 yards, right there's obviously a lot of room for improvement that can just be done from dialing it in. Yeah. And that's how you got to look at it is if, if you miss big, well, this is going to help you miss not so big. Yeah. And I think one of the things that, uh, that players, uh, you know, maybe don't understand the golf swing and the technical of it is, you know, people think, Oh, I missed 50 yards left. I missed 50 yards. Right. My swing is so bad. I can't possibly get fit, but you know, maybe not 50 yards, the difference between something 20 yards left and, and 10 yards right, um, you know, can be just a couple degrees of face angle. If you're coming in, you know, inside out two degrees uh, and one shot, your face angle is one degree open path and one shot, your face is, you know, two degrees closed to path. That's only three degrees difference, but that's legitimately 30, 35 yards <laughs> of difference. Um, and, and all they see is result. Wow. Right. I blew it way right on this hole. And then I blew it way left on this hole. I don't need to get fit because my swing's so bad when reality, you know, if we could get a shaft that helps to deliver the club head a little more consistently, um, you know, maybe get the face angle a little more open or a little more closed. So you're not fighting it all of a sudden you get, you get that much tighter. Um, you know, again, the, the difference between a big miss left and a big miss right can be just a couple degrees of face angle. It can be just a degree or two of path that maybe if your shaft was way too heavy or way too light, that's causing some path issues that we can help you get dialed in on. So again, uh, that big miss, let us make that a small miss. You mentioned the shafts. I mean, there's so many custom shafts available now and they've taken that craft to a whole new level that it has lessened the pressure on manufacturers like Callaway to produce their own shafts. Now let's work with the major shaft manufacturers and they're going to look, I try to tell people just understand that shafts are like witchcraft. You don't necessarily need to understand how they work, but once you get fit and you're into the right shaft, it's going to work for you. Yeah, for sure. There is uh, there are so many shafts out there from so many uh, manufacturers that are all really, really good. Uh, you know, we, we love our partners and, and we work very hard. R and D and our test team works extremely hard to get, you know, what I would call the 80% shaft into our stock clubs. And it's really good. And it's going to, it's going to fit a lot of people. I, I think some people, um, and I, I just, let me put this to bed. You know, they walk in and, you know, they get fit and maybe they get fit into a stock shaft. And they're almost disappointed. Well, if you're a quote unquote average golfer, meaning average build, average swing speed, uh, average club delivery, guess what? That kind of puts you in the middle of the bell curve. And we, we select those middle of the bell curve shafts in a good way as our stock is our stock product. So, um, but if you're outside of that bell curve, if you've got a high degree of face rotation, you know, maybe you're really open, uh, to really closed, um, maybe you're coming more inside, uh, you know, or, or some other delivery from the top, maybe you pull down really hard on the handle. You know, there's all different shafts and, and different ways that we can get you fit. Uh, to get dialed in. And uh, again, from a shaft weight perspective to a bend profile uh, perspective, um, the, the, the options are almost limitless, which is also why so many people get lost. They try to self fit. They read on the internet that this shaft is quote unquote, Mm -hmm. high launch, low spin, and they order it. And um, you know, maybe you're going to get lucky and love it. And I hope you do. If you spent the money, by all means, we, we hope that's wonderful for you, but uh, we train the shaft manufacturers, train the fitters, we're sending information out on the shafts we send out, you know, what we're seeing, who's going to work for the club deliveries. 
it is it is overwhelming. And I do this full time and have t- over 20 years in the industry, and I can't keep up with every shaft. I can't. It's several times per week, I have to go in and relook at what does this one do? What is, how is this one different than that mm-hmm. one? Uh, and again, it's it's essentially my full time job, and I can't keep track of it all. Um, but we have great data sets, and we communicate all that information. So. Um, you know, it's cool to say, Hey, you know, I saw the shaft. I read about it. I love the color of it. Yeah. Go ask your fitter. You know, it may be right for you. Um, but please hit it. Talk to your fitter before you make that purchase. Well, and there's so many different versions that look exactly the same to the layperson's eyes. So, I mean, that's maybe the biggest factor is you love to look at the shaft, but it is made for everyone from a pro to the most amateur of amateurs. You want to make sure you get the right model. Yeah, I mean, one of the, I mean, not to, to signal anyone out, but, uh, you know, Fujikura Ventus is one of the hottest shafts out there right now. And they've got a red version, they've got a blue version, they've got a black version, um, literally the color of the shaft. And each one of those has, I, I can't keep track of how many weights and flexes. Uh, I mean, there might be 25, 30 Ventus shafts. So even if you saw your favorite tour player or, or your buddy who you play with, you know, I'm just using that as an example, right. Mitsubishi Rayon, Project X, I mean, Mitsubishi Chemical, Project X. Uh, there's lots of really, really good shafts out there. I'm, I'm just using um, that. The, the Ventus is one option because they have, you know, the different versions. And a lot of people have heard of that one lately. You know, again, you know, randomly picking the right one out of those 25 or 30 is, uh, it's, it's not even rolling the dice because rolling the dice is one in six. This is one in a lot more than that. Yeah. Well, we always wrap up our talks here on the range by taking a trip into the Wayback machine. So excluding the current gear, which is always the best tech, is there one club from across your career that meant a ton to you personally in development or in play? You may have never even played it, but it meant a much to you just because of development. Uh, yeah, the, uh, I've I've had this question, and the first time it was asked to me, I was I was caught a little off guard because you know it's kind of like you know which kids is your favorite? I have three kids, I love them all. It's hard <laughs> to pick, but uh, I mean I've designed I I can't I, I have no idea how many clubs I've designed fifty hundred no idea over the years, um, but there's one club that I that I'm really you know look back fondly of. Now the technology's been been beaten hand over fist now, but. Uh, we had a, when I was at Adams, I, a line called the idea a seven line and we had an a seven pro and some other products. And, um, the, the, the number of players, um, there was, uh, there several tour players kept that in the bag for, for years and years, uh, had a major championship win more, you know, tour wins that I can, than I can count. Um, just really proud of the way that one came together. And, and it was kind of a culmination. We had kind of got out of the, you know, trying to figure out what hybrids were to, to really perfecting them at that point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there, I hate to say it cause this is sounds egotistical and it, it, I don't mean it to be, but I would say when that a seven came out, that was, that was as close to a perfect golf club as I had ever designed. You know, usually, you know, 12 months after I launched something or when I say me, the team, the group, not just me, but everyone involved, we'd always find something like, boy, I wish we would have done that different. And yeah, we've got this feedback. And even though we tested a ton, we're seeing certain players find that there was always something, you know, always like, boy, if we just had one more month, we just had two more months. And that, uh, that idea, a seven, the full lineup, um, uh, all of them, it just, and, and we had a seven OS as well, just again, so proud. And, and those clubs that really stood the test of time. Again, they are nowhere near as good as our apex hybrids. We have now, they're nowhere near as good as apex pro irons. I play now. I'm, I'm not saying that because technology really has advanced, but in its time, uh, I was, um, just really proud of the work we did there. Um, and, and some of the things were gone again, now, if you're playing that now, um, again, after even having said that, it's time, it's to, get time fit. to upgrade. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Please go get fit if you're playing IDA seven irons. I'm begging you. Um, at the time, you made a great purchase, but it's it's time for everybody to move on. Well, Michael, you spent a career in golf club development. Now you work on helping every player become the best they can be on the course and at the range. Uh, and playing better is the biggest key to enjoying this game. So thanks for your work, and thanks for joining us here on the range. Appreciate it, Ralph, very much. That was Michael Verska, and his golf life now is simple. He wants to help players of all levels to achieve their best golf game possible. It's a noble goal, but it's also truly achievable. Getting custom fit with clubs from major manufacturers like Callaway and then shafts from brands like Fujikura and more can lead to performance gains you never would have imagined. 
They aren't making magic clubs, they're simply building instruments that translate your golf swing into better golf shots. It's hard work, and yet it's really that simple. Custom clubs are built to understand you. Before we go, I wanted to express my excitement coming off the Trust Golf Women's Scottish Open. Ryan O'Toole earned her first LPGA win in her 228th start on tour. First, for background, I've known Ryan since she was a sophomore at UCLA, and I've seen firsthand as she battled to make the five-player team while there in college and how she dealt with the disappointment when she was left off the squad. She was always talented and always a battler, even if playing as an individual. Life moves on, and she's been able to compete on the tour, making brief appearances on the first pages of the leaderboard over the years, but always dedicated to remaining fit and trying to be the best player she can be. This weekend, she played masterfully, and in the final group on Sunday, she went out and shot an 8-under par round of 64 to run away with the championship, winning by three strokes. Her commitment and persistence are a reminder to us all that great things are still out there. On the course, you keep working on your game. Get fit, take lessons. Breaking 100, 90, 80, or even par are all goals that can be attained. The game of golf is there for us to enjoy and have fun, but it's also fun to get better and accomplish goals. So go be the player you want to be, and maybe you can apply that attitude to every aspect of life. The world awaits us all. What's new for 2021 in golf equipment? Find out with the Golf Spotlight. We are dropping new features all the time, looking at clubs, accessories, footwear, and more. Go to thegolfspotlight.com, click on the YouTube subscribe button, and turn on those notifications so you never miss one of our features. There is always a lot to catch up on. Stay up to date on the range by following us on Instagram at thegolfspotlight. We're also on Twitter at golfspotlight. We welcome your comments everywhere. You've listened this far, so subscribe to the range on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify or iHeart. We have new shows dropping every Wednesday. That'll do it for this episode of The Range, so let's hit the course, but it really is time to think about clubs. Clubs that really understand you and your game. And we'll talk to you next time, right here on The Range. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Want to make Mom's Day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30.